The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to John 3.16, that scripture passage that appeared under Tim Tebow's eyes on Sunday when he played football. John 3.16, that's where we're turning today. While you're turning there, C.S. Lewis, he writes, to love at all is to be venerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin or your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Because the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. C.S. Lewis, talking about this uh, in his book uh, on love. Love is a deep subject. Love is a wide subject. And really, the issues we have when it comes to the topic of love doesn't change. It hasn't changed even till today. Love continues to inspire and it continues to hurt. It continues to reveal and it continues to conceal. It continues to evade and get played as we continue to look for love in all the wrong places. It's masked. It's misunderstood. We hear much about love because people always talk about love. We see movies about love. We hear music about love. We hear much about love, have always heard much about it, and it's, well, confusing. And it continues to confuse love. I mean, we hear it even when it comes to the songs that we hear in our world today. Some bizarre things we hear about love, right? I mean, Michael Bolton sang it himself. I said I loved you, but I lied. (laughs) Then Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, they sing that love is endless. Then Stevie Wonder just called to say that he loves you. Elvis says that he just can't help but falling in love with you. But then Bruno Mars comes and says that he loves you just the way you are. Dolly Parton sings, I will always love you. But then Roxette comes and said, it must have been love, but it's over now. On the one hand, Percy Sledge sings, when a man loves a woman, then Billy Ocean comes and says, get out of my dreams, get into my car. John Lennon has always said, all you need is love. Then for the younger generation, Trent Reznor sings, love is not enough. The Bee Gees ask, how deep is your love? But then Whitney Houston comes and she wants us to bring her a higher love. Air Supply tells us that we are lost in love and we don't know much. But Shania Twain says, 
that you're still the one I love. The eagles sing, love will keep us alive. Then Joan Jett says, I, she hates herself for loving you. Barbara Streisand says that love is ageless and evergreen. Yet Karen Carpenter says, goodbye to love. You guys remember Jackie Brown? Jackie Brown says, your love keeps lifting me higher. Then Bon Jovi says, you give love a bad name. And foreigner have sung and sung over and over and over again. I want to know what love is. Then Def Leppard says, love bites. And the Jay Giles band sings, love stinks. It's confusing. And it gets even more convoluted as time goes on. And so in our culture today, it seems that love has lost a step or two. And in psychology today, there was even an article that I read about how people just avoid the word love altogether these days. They just don't want to say it. This is the greatest of all that we see in the scriptures. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And when the love of God is declared... In society today, it results in a number of different reactions and responses. Like Pilate asked Christ, what is truth? It seems like that's our culture. Where we're asking, the world is asking, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. What is love? What is the legacy we are leaving? Are we leaving the world a legacy of distorted love? See, children are dealing with mistreatment today of their parents who tell them every day that they love them. Interesting. A young woman is being told that she is loved while being molested by a family member. Now, this is, this is not... This is not far-fetched, family. I'll tell you that when I was a pastor in Hawaii, there was a time where I was, uh, I was counseling a, a, two, a young lady and her, her boyfriend at the time. And, and she was, you know, I, I really believe, Shane, I hear the gospel. You preach the gospel all the time. And I really believe that, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I think I want to become a Christian. You know, but I'm just, I'm struggling with a couple of little things. And I'm explaining to her the foundation of all of this stuff when it comes to the gospel is the love of God. And she says, so God loves me? And I said, yes, God loves you. He loves you very much. And she goes, so am I supposed to have sex with him? And it, it shocked me for a minute. I was like, it took me aback. But after we've got, we got done talking, I, I talked to her about her upbringing. She had a horrible, sad upbringing by people who always told her that they loved her. And so in her mind, she understands and defines love as sex. It got so bad. It got so distorted that it's starting to distort even our definition of what we mean when it comes to the word love. A wife is told by her husband that she is loved by him while he inflicts horrible acts of indifference. In the church, we're supposed to love, but we see some of the most unloving acts being performed by people who worship Christ. 
I thought it was supposed to be sacrificial. I thought love was supposed to be reciprocal. I thought love was supposed to be unconditional. And how we have to deal with this understanding of distorted love in our narcissistic culture. I had to throw that in there, narcissistic. You know how like everything is narcissistic now? That's like the new buzzword, isn't it? Like everywhere you read, everybody's talking about it. It's in the newspapers, it's all the magazines. Every, everything is, there's a narcissistic this and a narcissistic that, narcissistic husband, narcissistic wife, narcissistic kids, narcissistic shopping centers now, narcissistic churches, narcissistic families. You gotta throw the narcissistic stuff in. But it seems like love just can't happen today without some kind of distortion. But this holiday season, we look deeper into hope. We look deeper into peace. We look deeper into joy. And today we're going to look deeper into this thing called love. I'm on my iPad, sorry. (laughs) I'm on my iPad right now preaching. And everybody is sending me texts saying Merry Christmas right now. And I can't stop it. It just keeps popping. See, there's another one. It just keeps popping up. Hi. Oh, Josh Solis. Remember Josh Solis? Should I say Central Baptist Church says Merry Christmas? <laughs> I'm preaching right now, man. <laughs> Josh Solis. I miss that guy. So let's take a look at it, family. John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world. Your translation is God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Transform our hearts today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to look at is the wonderful characteristics of the love of God that he has displayed to the world. And the second thing we're going to look at is the good news that comes from this gift, the life and the life more abundant that we find in the giving, sacrifice, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So the, st- the thesis statement today is this, and for those of you who have been here, you know, but if you haven't been here, the thesis statement is me just trying to summarize the entire sermon in one really long sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to have distorted and disillusioned views on the concept of love, especially the love of God, It is the truth of the infallible word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see the wonderful, intense, and great unconditional love of God in the gift of his son and all he's done. Point number one, God's love. The intense and great unconditional love of God. God made it very clear in his word that he loves his creation. God loves his people. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, Exodus 34, 3 to 7, or 6 to 7, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Let's go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. God made it clear that he loves his creation, and he loves his 
people. And a marvelous, marvelous shift took place where God now desires to show his love through his son. And family, let me say this. It's not just from the coming of the son at that time. God still today, 2,000 years later, wants to show us his love through his son. See, I think sometimes, I think sometimes, it, it's, it's hard to hear th- things that are said about, about how we feel like certain things that God has done in the New Testament that happened back then that's not happening today. And we somehow feel today like that's not enough. We need more. We need something else. And every time we do this, we keep talking about how we need more. We need more of this. Yeah, you know, God, Jesus was there, all that stuff. He was there then, but he's not here now and all this stuff. And we just need a little bit more. We need something extra. Do you realize what we're saying when we say that? That the gift that God had given was not enough. The intention was, is that God gave his son and that gift was so good That gift was so amazing that that gift would still be good and still be amazing even 2,000 years later. What are we saying about the gift that God gave? You know, we always talk about Christmas time. I always make fun of, you know, when we were kids, we we got the present. This This is the toy that I've always wanted. This is the toy that's going to change my life, mom and dad. If you will just give me this toy for Christmas, I'll never ask you for anything again. Right? We get the toy, and it ends up in one of those black plastic bags several years later on its way to the Salvation Army. Is that what's happening with Christ today? We got this great gift, but it's kind of done. It's outplayed. There's other things now. So we put Christ on the shelf looking for something bigger, better, and greater when there's nothing that can be given that's greater than that. Do you see that? This is the gift that God has given that says that this is the greatest gift that could ever have been given God forbid we ever think that this gift is not good enough anymore. You can't give anything to anybody greater than this gift. It just can't happen. And so now we see this shift where God desires to show his love through the gift of his son. And it's a crying shame. It's a crying shame that John 3.16 is one of those passages of scriptures that's popularly thrown out there, used to display the God of love with no justice, used to be the proof text to relieve unsuccessfully one side of a popular theological dispute on soteriology. When this passage of scripture illustrates the intensity and the greatness of the unconditional love of the living God for his world. That's what John 3.16 does. That's why John 3.16 is so awesome. It displays something very amazing about God's love in the very gift that he gives. So first of all, what we should see is the intensity. Oh, that rhymed. What we should see is the intensity of the love of God. 
The love of God. God so loved the world. This is not just a simple love. The Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit, shows us that this love is very intense. It does not just display the quality of the love, but he's wanting us to see the intensity of it. This is why some of your translations, you got to read it with intensity. God so loved the world. Not, not that much intensity. But that's essentially how we're supposed to be reading. It's not God so loved the world. No, God, God so loved the world. No, no, no. God so loved the world. He's showing us the intensity. It's how we understand that in the context and the, the, the syntax of how it's put together there. God so loved the world. He's wanting us to see the intensity of the love. On the scale of one to ten, it's a ten. When, uh, where's my wife? Is, uh, cover your ears. When Janine started kickboxing, <laughs> I've been waiting for an opportunity to tell you this. When Janine started kickboxing, all of us watched her on her first, I watched her in her first class. I, I had to turn my back after a couple seconds, but we watched her in her first class. And Janine, you got, if you know Janine, Janine is just not, she's not naturally gifted as an athlete. If you know my wife, she's a computer programmer, rightfully so. Okay, but she's not going to be playing soccer for the women's team, okay? She just not, just doesn't have, so at first, it was, you know, when, when, she, when the coach says, all right, everybody, let's warm up by doing some shadow boxing. Janine's like, what's shadow boxing? You know, and she's kind of pawing at the air like a cat, you know, doing the shadow boxing thing. And then she starts to develop her skill, and she started to get better where she's actually punching correctly, and she's doing stuff. And then sometimes I get to pair up with her. And I go, okay, husband and wife, you guys get to pair up, and you guys can drill together. So I used to drill with Janine. But Janine was still working on her form, so when she would kick, it was still kind of a leg kick, you know? She didn't really put effort into it. So when she would kick me, I would, you know, you're supposed to block. They teach you how to block when you're drilling with a person. I didn't block. I just put my hand up and let her kick me in the stomach. She's been doing kickboxing for what, three and a half years now? She's been doing kickboxing for three and a half years now. I do not let her kick me in the stomach anymore. And family, let me tell you this, even when I block, it hurts. She swings that leg and that leg hits you like a gigantic log that came falling from the sky. Let me tell you this. I will tell you this right now. If Janine kicks you as hard as she can, if you block, she's going to break your arm. That's how hard she kicks now. So now, when I'm drilling with her, I'm like, and I'm like, babes, dial back the intensity. Don't kick me so hard. Is that necessary for you to do that? And you know what she tells me? I did. I, I'm not kicking you as hard as I can. Oh, boy. You know, when she tells me to take out the trash, I do it now. <laughs> so, you know, when you meet her, when you see her and she's smiling, hi, Merry Christmas, how you doing? Uh-uh. Okay? There is something hidden underneath that smile. Just FYI, just warning you, you know, so just be careful when you say stuff about her children, 
about her husband. She's got to dial back the intensity. So this is what I'm trying to say. If Janine kicks you with the same intensity that God loves this world, she is going to break your arm. This is the picture that, of the intensity of the love of God. The love of God was so intense. Shows the intensity of the love of God is at 10 on the scale. Essentially, John is saying that when God loves the world, he is kicking you as hard as he can with it. Man, isn't that awesome? He's giving you everything he's got with it. The intensity of it. Oh, Shane, man, I don't know. That's some, that's some crazy stuff, man. How are you supposed to prove that? You need to prove that. You guys, if you guys see me on social media now with all my videos, I got to prove everything now, right? So you got to prove that. I'm used to this. You got to prove it. It's so simple. It's so easy to prove. Illustrated by the greatness of God. Do you want to see how easy it is to prove? I can prove to you that God kicked you with everything he got when he loved the world because he gave you his one and his only son. This is how amazing this is. Because of the greatness of it, he gave us the best thing that he could give, illustrated by the greatness of the love. He loves so much He gave his son. But here's the thing. This is how we see it. He adds to that. He doesn't say just he gave us his son. He gave us his only begotten son. Or probably a better way of understanding it is the new way uh, the modern translations are saying this. He gave us his one and only son. That's, That's how amazing it is. But Shane, the picture... Yeah, the picture, one and only son. He gave his best. The father gave his best, his unique, his one and his only son. So I kind of say this, in a way, it's like saying, it's God giving to the world, giving to his creation, giving to his people the best thing he has. Oh my gosh, do you guys see that? This is absolutely revolutionary. I I just love the opportunity when I get to preach on on John 3.16 because, I mean, it's not even just John 3.16. It's John chapter 3. It's just so much, you know? And then the whole book of John, it's so fun to preach the whole book of John. And it's so awesome to preach the New Testament. Did you know that it's awesome to preach the Old Testament too? So I love to preach the New Testament. I love to preach the Old Testament. You know what? I just love to preach the Bible. You know why? Because the Bible is absolutely amazing. And the Bible is telling us right now that the God that we serve, the living God, gave us the best thing he has. Wow, the best thing he has. And we all know the greatness of that gift, even on a smaller scale. My children are the best thing I have. And I, and, I, and I know, and I, I often joke with my children all the time when I break out my, my ace freely the Gibson Les Paul guitar. And I always let them know that I love this guitar more than them. I don't want anybody touching it. Don't even, t- don't even look at it. This is worth more than your life. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. I do joke with my kids about that. But in reality, there is nothing in this world. Isn't it, parent? Nothing in this world more precious to us than our kids. That's it. It's everything. 
You let your whole house burn down to the ground before you let that happen to your children. There's nothing in this world more precious to us than our kids. And if we see this on a small scale, how much greater is it when it comes to God the Father and His only, His one and only Son, Jesus? And you know the thing is, too, is it's like, like this would never happen. I wouldn't give any of my children to pay for anything in this world to serve anybody, even if I knew that they were going to treat them well, right? So if I, if I knew, hey, if I give, I'm going to give you my son, you can, you know, you know, whatever, you can have him work for you and all that stuff. And he goes, you know, you know what, but you know what, just, just trust me, he'll be well taken care of. You know, it's like, it's like the military says to you, right? Hey, give us your sons. We'll take care of them. <laughs> you, didn't, you look at the faces of all the people. You guys didn't know how to respond to that, did you? <laughs> oh, even if we knew, even if we knew I was going to give my son to someone and he was going to be well taken care of, even if I knew that was going to happen, I wouldn't do it. No way. But you know what? Do you all agree God knows everything? Like if you asked God, he would know. <laughs> Did you think God knew what we were going to do to Jesus when he gave him to us? And he gave him to us anyway. Yeah, he gave. But you know, it's like, you know, it's you're giving them the best thing that you got, hoping that they're going to treat that son the same way you would treat him. But did we? That's the greatness of it. He knew it, and he still did it. He loved us. The intensity of his love gets even more so when we recognize that not only did he give us the greatest thing he had, he gave us the greatest thing we had, knowing that we were going to mistreat him. Dr. Kostenberger, he says this, Surely to see his son die in such a cruel fashion would break any father's heart, much more so that of our heavenly father. In a similar Old Testament passage, Abraham was asked to give up his one-of-a-kind son, Isaac. Unlike Jesus, however, Isaac was not offered up. He was spared when God provided a substitute. You know what the difference is? Jesus was our substitute. Man. This is the greatness of the love of God and the intensity of the love of God that's actually shown. And because this love, which is intense, divinely intense, this love, which is divinely great because of the gift that he actually gave, do you know that this love is actually coming from an eternal God? That's all-powerful, that's all-knowing, that's immutable, unchangeable, all these amazing things and characteristics about God, and you want to put a love and attach a love to that? John Piper, he tells this, he gives this awesome illustration, I love it. He says, sometimes we joke about marriage. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, we always joke about marriage, right? Sometimes we joke about marriage, and we say in marriage that the honeymoon is over. You guys heard that before? In this marriage, the honeymoon is over. I, I say that even about church. When people call me up, hey, Shane, you've been at Central Baptist Church, you know, for what? Almost, do you guys know that in January it would be six years? Six years here. I flew, didn't it? 
Hey, Shane, how are things going at Central Baptist Church now that it's been six years? Well, the honeymoon is over. (laughs) The honeymoon is over. But that's because, this is what John Piper says, that's because we are finite. We can't sustain a honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and as handsome as we were then. Is that true, babes? Don't answer. (laughs) We can't come up with enough new things to keep the relationship fresh. But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride. He is talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasures and honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. He is trying to get into our hearts what it means when he says he rejoices over us with all his heart. Do you really realize that? When the eternal, loving, amazing, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, non-changing God tells us that he loves us, it is way different when, than when somebody here tells us. There's so much more to it. When God says he rejoices us over us with all of his heart, we are talking about an eternal, amazing, all-powerful, all-loving God. That love is different. We got to believe that that love is different. If we don't believe that that love is different, then that explains the reason why we walk around, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian and God loves me. No, no, no. If we understood the magnitude of what this passage is saying when it comes to the intensity and greatness of God's love, rejoice in the Lord. And I say again, rejoice. Then he goes, and add to this, that with God, the honeymoon never ends. He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love. And so he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personality. And he, and he has decided that he will keep what is good for us and change what isn't. He will always be as handsome as he ever was and will see to it that we get more and more beautiful with him forever and he infinitely create his and he infinitely creative to think of new things to do together so that there will be no boredom for the next trillion ages of millenniums you think about that you think about that we will never be bored with God. This is the thing I think is really interesting too, and I asked some people about this, just a couple people, just as a small little poll. I asked them if, since you've been a Christian, have you been bored? (laughs) The response I get is, yeah, it hasn't always been fun. You know, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. It hasn't always been fun. Sometimes as a Christian, it's tough, all this stuff. Yeah, I know this stuff, but man, I don't think I could ever use the word bored. I don't, I don't, I've never been bored. Even on this scale, when it comes to the earth and the world and the finite, uh, the, the finite arena that we're in right now, there's no boredom. 
there's always something happening. There is always something we've got to do. Do you, do you, you know, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just like take out a clean sheet of paper and be like, okay, look, my, my, my whole year last year is what's going to happen this year. My whole year last year, this, this is all the stuff that's not done yet. I'm just going to push it all to the side and then come out with a clean sheet of paper. Okay, get organized. We're going to get organized this year. And I start prioritizing all the things that I need to do. I'm not even halfway done. And, and trying to schedule it and all this. I'm not even halfway done with all the things that I need to do for God. And I already don't have enough time to do it. You can't be bored with God. And if you tell me that you are bored with God, I want to see your schedule. Because there's something you can teach me. <laughs> you can't be bored. There's nothing boring about Christianity. And here's the thing. You see this on this small scale here in our finite arena. What happens when we move into eternity? You know what I'm saying? You know, I always joke about the trillions of years. Do we, have you actually sat there and did like a thought experiment in your mind and actually try to ponder and, and, and take thousands of years at a time, millennia at a time? And just think about, you know, things that you do. You know, I always think about, like, is it possible that a hundred trillion years from now that we might actually forget who we were married to? I, I kind of wonder about those kinds of things. Like, so, I mean, just like, seriously, we're, we're, we're not God. You know, we're, we're in eternity. We're in heaven. We're in our resurrected bodies, all this stuff. And we're with Jesus for eternity, but we're still finite. I tell people all the time, you know that when we go to heaven, everything about God is still not going to make complete sense to us. There's still going to be things about God in heaven, in glory, in all eternity. It's like, I still don't understand this. We're still creatures. That for all those years, even though we may actually forget who we were married to, the intensity and the greatness of God's love will still be apparent to us even then. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has in store for those who love Him. Can't even imagine the things that God has done. This love that God has given us will sustain us. It will sustain and cause us to remain. It is a love that will not end and we can be sure it will be the same with the same fire, same continued novelty resting in the truth of all of His promises knowing that His promises are yes and amen. When it comes to God's love, there will be no end. Family, no end. There will be no end with the same intensity and the same greatness. Family, we know that this is true because of the gift that God had given us. God's gift, it is a gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's like, uh, you know the salespeople now, everyone's so desperate to sell their product that they keep trying to figure out how to get that. It's a gift that keeps on giving. They love saying that. Even Coca-Cola is trying to figure that on out. Buy a Coke today. It's a gift that keeps on giving. We're so desperate. We want the gift that keeps on giving. We want the gift that gives for all eternity. The gift 
that will last. Family, we have it. God gave it to us. It's there. It's there for you. It's there for me today. It's right there. It's here. And not only are we shown the great love of God and receive all the benefits of his grace and his compassion, did you know that this love that he gives us, did you know that he wants us to show this same love to him and to each other? Whoa, okay, here we go. This is where it's going to get real. Come to Central Baptist Church. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you, but I'm going to be real. Here's the reality of it. We're supposed to, we are commanded to love him, and we are also commanded to love our neighbor. This is the reality of the law. It's what's called the summary of the law, the great commandment. We read about this. The summary of the Ten Commandments, love God and love our neighbor. But a huge error that we're seeing in modern evangelicalism today, many will refer to Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments in the great commandment, thinking that God made things easier. I, I, hear, I hear people talking about this. No, no, we don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. We don't have to worry about the 700 commandments that we have in the Old Testament. All we got to do is focus on the two. Love God, love your neighbor. He made it so easy. All you got to do is do that. Just do that and you got it. Love God, love your neighbor. But man, that's so misleading. It's so wrong. I'm not afraid to say that. I'm going to say it. Looking at the camera. It's so wrong. This past week, have you guys been reading this? This past week. And maybe Jack, maybe turn it off. I have Jack turn it off because a lot of times people misunderstand what I'm talking about, especially when I talk about sensitive issues. This past week, I've been reading posts about, do you guys hear this? Amy Grant is hosting her, her niece's wedding at her place, at her, her ranch. That her and Vince Gill, I think Vince, she's married, is she still married to Vince Gill? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, so she's having and hosting this huge wedding for her niece. But the reason why this is in the news and why this is going on is because her niece is a lesbian. So here's Amy Grant professing to be a Christian, and now she's hosting uh, her lesbian niece's wedding. And the media got a hold of it and it went out and everyone is just like, oh, you know, she's, she's doing this, she's doing this. And so Amy Grant is just like, you know what? The bottom line is, is that this is okay. God is okay with this because did you know that all God wants us to do is to love him and to love our neighbor and that's all I'm doing? And that's what she did. So she quoted the great commandment essentially to justify her having her her daughter or her niece and her partner uh, joined in matrimony right there on her property. Now, here's the thing. Amy Grant is not wrong. She's not wrong when she says that what God wants us to do is to love him and love our neighbor. No, she's not wrong, right? We would all agree. She's right. Love God, love our neighbor. Yes, absolutely what we're supposed to do. But see, here's the thing. Here's the trick about that great commandment. Do you know that the great commandment is essentially the summary of the tables of the law, the Ten Commandments, loving God, the first four, and the, the next six, loving your neighbor. Do you know what falls under the category of thou shall not commit adultery? Because you know that the Ten Commandments are not specific sins. These are headings, a categories of sins that fall under these categories. And under the category of Adultery, 
is the prohibition of unnatural relations. So she says that she is, all she's doing with this is loving God and loving her neighbor, but in all actuality, she's actually not doing what God has commanded us to do by hosting this. Why do I bring this up? Because here's the point. Here's the grand point. This is all of it right here summed up. Yes, I agree. I agree that when Jesus summarized the entire law in those two laws, love God, love your neighbor, the, our, our, our culture says he made it easy. Oh, absolutely. I agree that he made it easy, but not easier for us to keep but easier for us to see that we don't keep it. Easier for us to see that we don't keep it. Because really, isn't that what Paul says the purpose of the law is? The purpose of the law is to show us that we don't keep the law. That, uh, that, that was, that's horrible. You know, for, for our sin nature, that Jesus summarizes the law saying, love God, love your neighbor. Yeah, we think we love God because we fall into the sinful thing called disillusion. But when it comes to loving your neighbor, man, all it takes is five minutes in rush hour traffic on I-25 on Monday to see that we don't love our neighbor like we're supposed to. Come on, I see you all. I see you all driving on I-25 on Monday. You guys got the I love Jesus sticker on the back of your car. And I look at you expecting to see a smile. And I don't. I see the lip out. Don't even look at me. I'm waving. Then they finally see you doing this and they wave back. You know, sometimes something's wrong with their hand, though, because when they wave back, there's only one finger. <laughs> love God, love your neighbor, and man, do we fail. It is so easy for us to see. <laughs> and this is the thing. This is pushed out there. All you got to do is love God, love your neighbor, and I'm going to teach you how to do this. Here's my 12-step program as to how I can get you to love God and to love your neighbor, how you can be successful in loving God and loving your neighbor. And I'm going to help you do this. I'm going to support you in this. We're going to rally a team around you to support you in this. All you got to do is pay $59.99 a month, and I will put you on this program and teach you how to love God and teach you how to love your neighbor. We think Christianity is about telling everybody that we know the answer, so let me give you some advice. That's the worst thing we could do because Jesus didn't call us to go into the world and to give people good advice. He told us to tell people the good news. And what is the good news? Bad news first. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. If you break even the smallest of the commands, you are as guilty as one who has broken all of it. And the consequences of this is problematic. The wages of sin is death. We're talking eternal darkness, eternal fire, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> That's not good news. 
That's bad news, but that's the truth. That is reality. But here's the thing. I've got great news for us today. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. He came into this world to seek and to save us. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Family, this is the good news. The good news that salvation is here. And salvation happened because a baby came, born in the manger, where the wise men were seeking because Daniel told them that Jesus was coming. They knew that Jesus was coming. They followed the star and led them right there. Bang! Saul, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The son of David. The son of God. And the promises continue. Did you know that if you call upon the name of this baby that was born into me, you call upon his name, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the coming, the celebration of the coming of Christ. It's the time we remember the beauty of the hope that our King brings, the peace that our Savior brings, the joy that our Lord brings, and the love that the Father has that He's shown us by giving to us His one and only Son, Jesus. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And did you know that if you believe this, you will have life in His name. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.